Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 45 for patrons of News of the Day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Our top story, it's funny because you had the story that I was actually getting in real time from a person in America who's organizing a big pushback. So tell me what you got and I'll tell you what I got. Well, people are pushing back across America. Finally, it looks like there's going to be maybe a breaking point and people will stand up. St. Louis County, I told you about last week, they beat back a mask mandate. Well, they got another win. They got a temporary restraining order against the mandate. And then you go to Raleigh, North Carolina, where 200 or so people gathered at the state legislature and also around the governor's house to protest against the mask mandates and vaccine mandates there. A lot of them were healthcare workers and also, there were teachers protesting against the mask in school. And then you come over to Gwinnett County in Georgia, where parents are suing and protesting to stop the Gwinnett County public school system from implementing a mask mandate. And finally, at the University of Connecticut, more than 800 students have submitted COVID-19 vaccine exemption requests, which they are demanding that they get. So people are standing up and they are pushing back. That's great to hear. I do feel like it's they're not going to relent on this. I feel like they have a phased in thing. They're going to make the FDA approve it by the middle of September. Then on in October, they maybe they're going to wait until that approval comes in and try to get anybody who was waiting for that vaccinated. They're holding back on Novavax. I don't think they want people to have Novavax until you they know that th- this person will not take anything else. So then that'll come back and in, in maybe around Thanksgiving or something. I don't know, but I feel like it's great that people are protesting. I hope they gain some traction. I don't have a tremendous amount of hope that they will that the that the powers that be will relent but i'd love to tell you this little story of our friends at polls to the wall podcast who texted me this morning before you even told me that they are part of the solution you want to hear it yeah i'd love to so he just out of nowhere asked me this morning we have a he was texting me this morning we have a three thousand person town with 75 percent of parents in favor of quote mask optional but our governor mandated it in all schools this week we have an army of parents organizing a mass boycott on day one of school to send our kids maskless we have do not comply t-shirts we're hoping to radicalize our little town into a mini and capistan we are uh, only an hour and a half from chicago so he's there in Illinois. And the thing is, these big cities make it look like the states want these draconian laws. But a lot of times the outlands aren't as woke as the uh, as the inner cities. Absolutely. That's fantastic. I think it's good to tell people stories like this so that they know that other people are doing it and that they are not alone in case they want to organize an effort too. Just be careful and be smart about your decisions when you do this stuff, because there are people out there that are going to try and bait others into bad situations and set them up. I think it's great what everybody's doing. Just make sure you make smart choices about it. 
I totally agree with you. There was a story that we talked about yesterday that I wanted to be sure to bring today that I discovered some, not only do I have a libertarian solution, or at least an idea of how it would work in a libertarian society, so you don't have to be scratching your head like, well, this does seem like something you need the government for. And also that there's a lot of layers of how the propaganda works to promote a policy they want for whatever reason. So this was the thing, and I think you've seen it too. It says, uh, this is the quote, the headline from Vox, America isn't taking care of caregivers. 48 million people provide unpaid care to their loved ones in the U.S. Here's how to help them. So you already know that they've got a solution. And my guess isn't, is that it isn't the libertarian solution I know about. I've figured out as an, a quote, unpaid caregiver. My son has Down syndrome. He requires 24 hour su- supervision. And this is, you know, it's if I were to outsource that, it would cost actual dollars, which means I would have to earn those dollars or I could make the government get it from other people who are earning the dollars, which doesn't really make sense. You also outsource care is never going to be as good as of in course. family care. That goes to the heart of the story that what they're what they're saying is, first of all, a lot it's and this I, I think you could find a sinister cause for this. But more and more people need care. More and more people have iatrogenic illness, get seriously disabled from the medicines they take, from the toxins in the air. Uh, a lot of people think that autism comes from vaccine injury, in which case all these autistic kids that require a lot of care are a function of something that could have been prevented in the first place. However, even in the state of nature, stuff happens. People get a little bit messed up in old age, maybe birth defects, whatever. This is part of family, community, and church. This is why I had a conversation with Walter Block where we agreed that love is not selfless. Love is selfish. Love, the heart of love is that you don't know which of you is going to need the other guy. So you want to make very clear to the other guy that you are there for him, that you would take care of him if he were sick. And, and over maybe even evolutionarily, your heart, your heart shows through. And that's how you develop love and not codependence, but reliability, trust, like all these virtues come from the need for help someday, maybe. So as they divorce that help, make Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid and stuff, it actually breaks up families. Parents are like, I'm sick of your crap. I don't need you. I don't need to live in your house. I've got Social Security and kids are like, screw you. We don't have to take care of mom. This is an actual fact. Like they they've done studies on that. So. So we, so I was offended by the very thought of the unpaid caregiver because again, what it does is it makes it all monetized, all quantifiable, all, you know, financial. And in fact, if you grew your own food and took care of your own people, unpaid wouldn't even have a meaning. Paid is just a proxy for being able to be self-sufficient in, in my opinion. But this is what So I only discovered today when I was revisiting the story, the nomenclature is actually very important. It's it says and and it goes to the fact that it's meant to to undermine these fundamental relationships. It says policymakers can't help caregivers unless they can locate them, which can be more difficult than it sounds because the people who 
are the unpaid caregivers don't use that term to describe themselves. They use terms like, I'm the sister. I'm the daughter. Yeah. Who would say, well, what do you do? Well, I'm my family's unpaid caregiver. You know, who would say that? <laughs> of course, because this is it's almost in the definition of family. So so there's a couple of like things about this that that annoy me. Not only in that it breaks up the community, but these subsidies are so. So if you say, well, like, I can't take care of my mom and my children, I can't take care of my wife, I have to all of those people have to work or be on the dole because I can only take care of myself. And you know what? I can't even take care of myself. Like, I also need a bus pass. I also need Obamacare. What is all of that? All of that is a way to subsidize corporations. In the in this, it if a corporation, if Walmart, Walmart is a weird example because they are where the people where the workers are. But if you have something in the city, you need a a dishwasher in your fancy restaurant in the city. That guy, you don't want to pay him enough to live near where your fancy restaurant makes big money. You need him to live far away where it's cheap. How does he do that? He does that with. He does that with public transportation and you don't want to give him benefits. How do you get around that? Well, he gets Obamacare. So you can keep paying this guy 10 bucks an hour in the inner city. What happened in San Francisco, because we were associated with a restaurant out there, they couldn't get they couldn't get people to work for less than 20 bucks an hour. The minimum wage was meaningless. They couldn't run a restaurant because they just couldn't cover the costs. You have to pay for a person to be there and work unless it is heavily subsidized. So I don't like any. You talk about welfare, socialism, public services. To me, in this system, it's just plays into the whole fascism thing. Forward fascism, not reverse fascism. And then it outsources all the work so that you have these, uh, you know, the mom doesn't take care of the kids anymore. You get all the taxes because then the mother's labor and the caregiver's labor are both monetized. So they're both taxed and you can control them. You can put regulations on them. And of course, it goes to what Bismarck said, that people must love you and their dependents. So take away their extra money and, and make them come back and beg from you. Plus, they're going to play into the the mental health issues that like frontline workers, like um, cops and stuff. Then you're going to have to be have interventions. They're going to start worrying about the caregivers. I take the caregivers out of the home. So and usually these are real issues like this is a real issue, like the COVID thing did put me in a position where I had to do that. And it can be taxing, but they create these problems and they exploit them. And I know I'm going on and on. It's I'll, I'll give up the rest of my time for these last two points. This was such an important story for me, I thought, maybe because it hit home. Uh, it's they, so, of course, at the end of this insanely long Vox article, insanely, insanely long with a lot of a really awful pictures of a, of a severely disabled adult child and an aging mother. And uh, it says the Credit for Caring Act introduced this Congress in spring. This Congress would give eligible family caregivers up to five thousand dollars a year to help pay for care costs. Let me just tell you that How is much? not five thousand dollars. That is. Could that you is, imagine? Yeah, just that is not much at all. It isn't. It's like what it would cost a month. Yeah. But anyway, whatever. The Biden administration has also said that he's going to require 12 weeks. He'd like to have 12 weeks of annual paid family leave that would cover caregivers like the ones in this story. Paid family leave? Yes. You take 12, you know, like three months vacation. So who takes care of the family member then? You. 
you get to not go to work and your employer has to give you three months vacation. Oh, I, I, I thought it was, we're going to allow you to go away for your from your family member for three months. No, that's that's called respite care. They do that too. So uh, it says other, other plans, this is so annoying to me, other plans have fallen by the wayside through the infrastructure bill that the Republicans are, you know, bipartisan. So I have told you about 15 times already. I know it's too much, but... They're taking anything a Republican would agree to. They're putting it in the infrastructure bill and they're taking everything else, three and a half billion dollars worth of stuff. And they're putting in something Republicans want. This shit will all be in that. And that is for sure what this is for. But what annoyed me was the correction. The correction was, oh, a previous version of the story incorrectly stated that Sabrina Scott's grandmother was turned away from medical appointments. She was. She was initially refused entry, but she was allowed in after she put on a mask. You know, that mask stuff was just ridiculous the way they were trying to enforce the mask stuff. We we had to go to the hospital a lot. But they took this should appeal to you. They took a story that the woman couldn't get into her appointment because she wouldn't wear a mask. And they said she couldn't put in an appointment to promote the image that these people are absolutely desperate. They're abused because of their status as family unpaid caregivers, not because of their status as not masking. You understand, like they were using the story to make it look like unpaid caregivers are oppressed. Anyway, it goes on to say the story has also been updated to note that Scott was paid under a state Medicaid program to support caregivers and that similar programs are available in other states. So they just want to make it federal. And, but I have a solution. What do they want? They, so they want to take away the ability that, for people to take care of their family. Is that you think they that's where want? This is going? I think what they want is first of all, I think they want to bankrupt the country so they can usher in a new financial regime, monetary regime. But I think that they also want, it's like not owning a home. I own nothing and I'm happy. They want to make sure that there's no surplus at the individual level, no surplus wealth, so that you're always living hand to mouth. You always have to be plugged into the system. It's like having diabetes and needing insulin. They need you to always need it. Bismarck said it. They will love you in their dependence to the Kaiser. Like, that's what it's all about. It's a disconnect, all of that. Plus, then you have like where you're once... I don't know, but I mean, I do believe that they they just want to monetize everything. Everything then gets taxed. They just want it all. But what would be the solution in a libertarian society? The solution would be that, and I thought this because I had a son who had Down syndrome, and and I thought, how much will it really cost us over the lifetime of this kid of extra payments for the amount of help we need, which was quite intensive when he was young, but it will be forever. And I think at the time I calculated the kind of NPV, the net present value to be a million bucks. If I had a million dollar annuity, hmm? at least, well, I calculated it as if there was, yeah, I mean, I guess, but I had, if I had a million dollar annuity at whatever the interest rate was at the time, 7%, and I could just pull that off $70,000 a year forever, you know, I just thought that would be uh, enough. Those were the days though. So now, yeah, it probably would be two million. And anyway, but I thought about it and I was like, okay, I had like uh, a one in 400 chance of having a child who had Down syndrome. Let's say it was one in a thousand. Say I was a couple of years younger. It was one in a thousand. Let's just follow the math. Say it was one in a thousand chance and and it cost a million dollars. You needed a million dollars. So if your child was born with Down syndrome and someone gave you a million dollars, 
it would no longer be a financial burden to you. If you found a thousand other people with the exact same chance, a thousand to one chance, and each of those people paid insurance, $1,000 worth of insurance, in that insurance pot would be $1 million. A thousand times a thousand is a million. If one person had the child with Down syndrome, which is what that pool should yield, that person would get the million dollars. And here's the thing. As your risk increases, so then you're you're in a, in a one in 500 pool, you have to put in $2,000. Then you start thinking about your behavior in terms of the real risk and cost. So the government is this massive insurance policy, but it's not actuarially fair. You pay in way more than you get out. It doesn't affect your behavior because they actually pay you to behave less well. It's bad for you. When I had life insurance and I was supposed to not smoke, they took a test and they're like, oh, you have nicotine in your system. Your your premiums are going to triple. Otherwise, you have to cancel the policy for a year. And I never cheated again. I'm just saying the welfare state is just a bad insurance policy and you could work around it. You could do the same thing with Alzheimer's and everything else. And then you think about your health a little harder when you realize how much it's going to cost for you to get disability insurance, to get, you know, health insurance in your old age. The idea that they're trying to make caregivers feel oppressed. That's the that's the way they always divide and conquer is they create the oppressed and the oppressors and to make people who are caring for their family feel like they're being oppressed by an ill family member or somebody has a problem. That that is that is terrible. That is and they're taking they're taking the mental health issue like the leading thing of the story. Like all the stuff that I just told you had not, you know, wasn't what the story said it was about. What its story said it was about was mental health issues. They're all about mental health issues. Everything is. And and in fact, they're so good at the psychology of everything. I think they're so adept at understanding psychology that they know damn well that they're promoting mental illness. And I actually have a story in the patron 15 about that. Yeah, I think we're going to get Kamala sooner than later. I think this is kind of leading into the Mama Kamala thing. So this new study is out that found something very interesting. Trust in science apparently is not what we thought it was. This new study was in the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology. It found that people who trust science are more likely to be duped into believing and disseminating pseudoscience. And this is how they did the little experiment. They had four experiments. And in the experiment, the researchers told American adults who were the subjects, they told them to read news articles that they had intentionally put false claims in about two topics. One topic was a fictional virus created as a bioweapon. Sound familiar? The other topic was the health effects of genetically modified GMOs. And the participants in the study who indicated they had higher levels of trust in the science were most likely to believe the fake account if it contained scientific references. So they put a bunch of lies and then a bunch of scientific references. They believed it. Meanwhile, the other group who showed a higher understanding of the scientific method were less likely to believe what they read, regardless of whether the information was attributed to science. They were more likely to question it. Wow, that's perfect because... 
The fact is that if you have skepticism and discernment, you can tell truth from fiction. You don't need trust. But they are, as we noticed yesterday, one of the clips you played me, they and you see it every day. They're trying to move us away from a real understanding of science, from a real understanding of the scientific method to a religious type thing where trusting the science and having faith and looking at the scientists as priests to interpret the scripture. That's what they want. And this is a side effect that makes it vulnerable to uh, to false gods. It's really interesting, too, because this paper seems to have clearly been or this study conducted to support the other conclusion, to support that believing the science means that you are better off because the paper does note that these findings conflict with the ongoing campaigns that promote trust in science as a way to fight disinformation about COVID. And it almost reluctantly concluded that the trust in science alone is just not sufficient. I think that what they will really conclude is that they have to redouble their efforts to disconnect people's ability to assess the science, their confidence in their ability to assess the science from an earlier age. Because isn't that what that the bioethicist from Germany on the the uh, Center for Countering Digital Hate, the clip that you played me yesterday for the Rockman video, she was like, oh, uh, we need to n- not be so confident that we can that we can interpret science like they they I think they yeah. recognize that and they are going out of their way now to undermine our confidence in that. They That's don't I bet, I bet it changes how they teach it in elementary school. They could just be assessing what level the the participants are at to see kind of what percentage of Americans they think actually do understand the scientific method so they could crush it at the lower level. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, there were a few things that I, I came up with um, where I feel like they're attacking kind of the young people, the the mental health issue. Maybe I'll, you know, I was going to do it in the patron 15, but maybe this is the time to do it. The no, sorry. I'm just going to tell you what I was looking at because it is important and people should know it. So I was observing. I saw this thing that said. 15, that household debt was at record highs. There's $15 trillion in household debt. And I was thinking, holy crap, because there's $30 trillion in national debt. You know, that's $45 trillion worth of debt. And our GDP last year, I was surprised it was as high as this, was $20 trillion. So I think Byron was right that, like, although we all felt shut down, there was still <laughs> yeah. more more production. What? Those numbers are just so out of touch with human beings. 30 trillion, 20 trillion, 40 trillion. That means nothing to most people. It can't even conceptualize what that amount of money is. And they talk about it like it's nothing. It's incomprehensible. That's absolutely incomprehensible. So, uh, so I actually, to tell you the truth, when I went to the U.S. debt clock, there's a website, the U.S. debt clock, and you can watch it. You can watch it turn over. Yeah. <laughs> I literally got car sick. It was moving so fast. It made me ill, like physically ill, not just psychologically ill, which it also did. So so here is the thing. There's a problem. I have a problem with all of that anyway, in that we have to produce as much as we consume. Like, that's what happens. If you can't produce as much as you consume, you die, you starve, whatever. How is it that the most successful, most um, the richest society in human history has to borrow from the future. So that makes no sense. 
Yeah, it's beyond me. I, I think yeah. I think part of the it's like the other thing where they don't want people to be able to comprehend it. Right. It's not that it's not just that, but they want to go on to ba- I think they really want to bankrupt us. And it really goes back to what MacArthur told Kennedy. You cannot defeat the United States unless you destroy its economy. And this is part of that. But I went on to see what it was. I just that number of debt for the U.S. was so incredible. Then I read, I believe this is, I was trying to piece this together from different sources. So I'm not positive it's apples to apples, but I think what I was understanding was two thirds of that debt was mortgages. So 10 trillion of it is mortgages. But the real crazy thing I found was that 44% of the mortgage debt was acquired in the past year. So yes, that's crazy. Yeah, because like zero interest rates and stuff. And that's what props up that a real estate boom, even if you don't have any money, if it doesn't cost you, if it's like a no money down, you know, not really no money down, but if like it's if interest rates are zero. And I didn't know if that was like if they had lured all the millennials who were waiting to buy their first home, like because first home ownership had been down. And now I think it's more than caught up. I feel like they've lured all these people in to first time home ownership, incredibly low interest rates. I made a terrible mistake the first time I bought a house. I made this. It was so crazy. I got a um, I'm not going to take credit for this. I, I didn't actually I don't remember paying attention to it. But when I saw what it was, I was shocked. It was a seven year floating rate. I think it was interest only. And I, I believe it had like a balloon payment after seven years or it like turned over into fix. I can't remember. It did something bad in seven years and you couldn't refinance it. So I was stuck with this mortgage for as long as I owned the house. I had to literally sell the house and move out. I had to sell my house. I moved to a different house to get out of the mortgage because all I really wanted to do was refinance it when I realized how terrible it was in this changing rate environment. So I think people make a lot of mistakes. So if if that if that is true, that that $5 trillion worth of mortgage debt was entered into under these weird circumstances this past year, I feel like if that thing blows up at the same time or anywhere near when the eviction moratorium blows up, you will just have, I, I imagine there could be a crash in the real estate market as that stuff all floods back into the market. And if that happens, those exact types of homes, it's almost like the millennials picked the homes for Blackstone or whoever is at BlackRock to go scoop up because those are the homes they like. They like those first owner homes. Uh, and then if they can get the markets crash, this is such a classic way for the big guys who have political influence. They crash the market. They know it's coming. They have a lot of dry powder and then they know they know what's coming again so they can buy it up at the bottom. And you have no choice. Even if you know what's coming, you just can't pay the mortgage if you have a floating rate and the rates go up. For example. And in a lot of instances in Georgia, anyway, those bigger companies are paying a price for the houses that are above and beyond what people could pay so that they can scoop them all up and when you look at right, the but they they won't have to if the market crashes that's true and they do all work for the buy. World economic forum so before we get to our last story of the free 30 which is going to be about how california continues to live up to its reputation of sucking really bad i want to tell you about what we're going to talk about in the patron 15 which is a story about a new twist that's being put on an iconic american toy that really illustrates how embarrassing the glorification of our public health experts has become. And is there a concerted effort from the powers that be to spread mental illness? Monica is going to add to the mounting evidence. I also want to say thank you to the sponsor of today's show, Liberty Gear. 
LibertyGear.net is an online store that embraces liberty and mocks the ridiculousness of these COVID times that we are living in. They offer masks, shirts, posters, mugs, and much more, all with protest-like slogans on them that will put a smile on your face. If you have to wear a mask but you don't like it, you might as well make a statement while you're doing it and put on the Obey or the Flatten the Lies mask from Liberty Gear. And if you're the type that doesn't wear a mask but maybe likes to ironically mock the situation we all find ourselves in, then you are the exact type of person that Liberty Gear was created for. They got a lot of products you're going to like. They'll even customize your gear just the way you like it. Just email them through the Liberty Gear website and let them know what you need. And for Propaganda Report listeners only, you're going to get a 10% discount off all orders. Just enter the promo code PROPAGANDA all lowercase when you check out and you'll get that discount. Support us by supporting our sponsors. That's libertygear.net. Check it out. And if you're not a Rockfin subscriber yet, check us out on rockfin.com slash propaganda report. Rockfin is an emerging video platform that's kind of like a combination of Netflix and YouTube without all the Soviet-style censorship. So for one price of $9.99 a month, you get not only all of our premium Rockfin videos, you get all the premium content from all the content creators on the platform. And there's a lot of good ones there. You got Jimmy Dore, Sam Tripoli, you got the Mad Ones. We just put a new interview up earlier this week, and we will be dropping a deep dive deconstruction of a propaganda group that Biden has been following the orders of in lockstep. So make sure you sign up through our page at rockfin.com slash propaganda report. I think you're going to like what you find there. And now on to our final story of the big 30 of the big 30. Is that a new the big 30, (laughs) the free 30, also the big 30. So, Monica, you know, as well as anybody. The California sucks, has a reputation for sucking. And yeah, big snaps. Well, they, they are living up to that reputation right now as a proposal is currently making its way through the California legislature that would make it unlawful to knowingly approach a person at a vaccination site for the purpose of obstructing, injuring, harassing, intimidating, <laughs> interfering with any person in connection with the vaccine services. So they don't want people protesting the vaccine. It's like sites. abortions. Exactly. And a vaccine site, this is interesting because people can game this right here. A vaccine site includes any physical location where vaccine services are provided, hospitals, doctor's office, clinic, any retail space or pop-up location as well. So you could just be like, I don't want people coming to mess with my business. We offer vaccine services. You could just eliminate protesting. That's nice. Yeah. By doing that. And Harassing under the law, it means non-consensually approaching within 30 feet of another person who is in a vehicle or who is approaching the vaccine place. So if somebody is approaching the vaccine place and they're within 100 feet, you cannot get within 30 feet of them and, and offer them a pamphlet, a handbill. You cannot display a sign and you cannot engage in oral protest, education or counseling in any public way. So you, it's, it's like a restraining order. Wow. Well, I've seen some other things I was going to tell you about. And and a tweet or a patron sent me an article that piled right on that. But I've told you before, like out here, Bill Handel, the litmus test for the next wave of propaganda, in my observation, said, oh, we need to ban protests near politicians, houses and stuff like that. I'm like, of course, that is what the First Amendment is for, not necessarily their houses, but to you know the politicians aren't the ones who need to be protected from the first amendment they they are they need to be able to answer what our demands 
But there was an article that uh, somebody sent me, a professor suggests it should be a federal hate crime to criticize Fauci. Did you I see saw that? that. <laughs> yeah, I thought you did. I thought you even mentioned it, but I thought given your story, it would be interesting to hear this. It's Dr. Peter Hotez, a professor of pediatrics and molecular virology at Baylor College of Medicine, is arguing that federal hate crime protection may need to be extended to Dr. Fauci. He says a band of ultra conservative members of the U.S. Congress and other public officials with far right leanings are waging organized and seemingly well-coordinated attacks against prominent U.S. biological scientists. The professor contends that Congress should look at expanded protection mechanisms for scientists targeted by far right extremism. And he cites a bill that has been introduced. I'm putting all this in the show notes called the Scientific Integrity Act of 2021. (laughs) How much you want to bet? It's about having no scientific integrity. Probably will say stop teaching it in schools. People don't understand it. They are. It's too much knowledge. Can a little knowledge can be dangerous? Is my guess where that had it, where that would head. Anyway, I haven't looked at it yet, but I did put it in the show notes. This says that it would protect government-funded scientists. Government-funded scientists. scientists. He wants to create a special group and protect... Oh, my gosh. Right, not Dr. McCullough. From political interference, but this needs to be extended for scientists at private research universities and institutes. Still, not Dr. McCullough. The ones that are working with the government on all this stuff. Of course, of course. Still, another possibility is to extend federal hate crime protections, he wrote. Uh, Fauci and other scientists um, targeted by far-right extremists. So so but not to extend it to those targeted by far left extremism. Of course, Someone not. throwing no. blood at your you never, know, right to never, life. Never, no, only Watch. only people on the right can commit hate crimes. It's extraordinary that a bill like that can even be presented. That is comical. That is satire. Well, I'd like to read the bill. I don't even know what's in the bill. Like, I'm, I'm assuming it's the opposite of what it claims. I'm sure it's about not having integrity. I'm sure it's about oh, of course. the Scientific Authority Act is probably what it is. But to just imagine that this powerful person who's been in government for 50 years or so he's worked for like four different presidents or something like that Fauci has and he has all this power and he's been involved in all of these big major scandals and controversies we want to give this guy protection that nobody can say anything about him or it's hate speech that is dystopian yep agreed all right well that was a crazy story there yeah, it really was. I wanted to thank some of our latest patrons before I wrap for my two-week vacation. Thank yeah. you in advance, Binkley, for holding down the fort. I will be back on August 23rd, which is hope Monday. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you very much. I hope I do the. Uh, we can do the Zoom party before then. And the patrons I'd like to thank are Patterson, Alicia, MC, and Will. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to tell you that I did get that notebook you sent and the T-shirt oh, you sent. Yeah, I love them both. The notebook was awesome. I'm, like, I'm looking at that. I'm like, that's cool. I didn't even know we had these, these propaganda report Well, notebooks. it was so expensive that I'm not selling. It was like, it just, uh, it, it was $20 just to make it. But they're little, like they're note, they're small size notebooks. And I use those to do like my list for the day. I have a very organized how I do my lists every single day and week. And people who follow me on Twitter know that I make lists of the lists I need to make. But anyway, so it's a propaganda report notebook. If anybody wants one, you can email me at the propaganda report podcast. I've already started using it. Yeah, it's awesome. If I I, it's possible that if I if people want them, I can make enough of them and then it won't be so expensive. But 
not to belabor the point, but as some as somebody's done a lot of stand up comedy in my life and been in a lot of clubs, that's like the ideal size. It's not too mm-hmm. small where you can't write on. It's not too big. And it's where like it kind of like hard, a, right? So you can yeah. write on it without. Uh-huh. It it's great. Around. I love it. All right, maybe I'll put. You know what? I'll put it in the Shopify. I have to take a picture of it, but whatever. Yeah. When I get back. Thank you, but right. I knew you would like it. Yeah, I knew you'd awesome. like it. And a Rye Guys t-shirt. Yeah, the Rye Guys t-shirt fits great, too. That's a great, that was a little, little nice surprise. And it's about propaganda. Pretty mm-hmm. hilarious. I know. I really hilarious. Oh, wear it, and people will come talk to you. All right, I will do that. You guys can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform. We will talk to you guys in Patreon 15 or next week. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Monica, have a great vacation. Thank you.